Let's talk digital. We are at the cutting edge of digital tweaks, changes, transformation. A local digital marketing podcast. Conversing with industry experts and giving excerpts about the exceptional. Hosted by Audrey and I. Do. Sit back, relax, and I'm really looking forward to what's coming up in South Africa in the next couple of months and years. Hey everyone, welcome back to Let's Talk Digital with me, Audrey Naidu. Happy New Year, everybody. Hope you guys had a good December break and ready to tackle the new year. In an old Indian parable, several blind men get to touch an elephant. Each man feels a different part of the animal. Afterwards, they each describe the elephant, but their accounts vary depending on what they touch, the tusk, tail, or perhaps a leg. They get confused and angry with each other because of the discrepancies in their description, but eventually learn that the elephant is a large animal with many parts. All their stories are true. Each just forms one piece of the whole. This parable speaks to our topic today, which is the data revolution and applying a single customer view of customers. As we transition into a new era of data management, data privacy and consent, We need a next-level data strategy to connect the sum of all the moving parts. My guest today is Calvin Yonk, CEO of Uno Digital. Calvin started as a computer engineer experimenting with VR and AI. He moved into the digital marketing arena 15 years ago. An absolute pleasure to be speaking to Calvin today. Welcome to the podcast, Calvin. Calvin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Audrey. It's great great to join you. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, I noticed that during lockdown, you picked up a, uh, a new hobby. You want to tell us more about that? My, my running, yeah. Yes. It's, it's, it's been great. I, I always used to joke that, uh, um, that I used to be an amateur, amateur jogger um, and, and laughed at people who took this sport seriously. And then when lockdown came and I couldn't stay healthy anymore, I, I picked up running uh, just as a way to to stay fit and um, the bug has bit I now look out for for actual races and got desires for ultra marathon running so yeah it's gonna be uh, be interesting I hope yeah that's that's gonna be amazing I can I think you can add that to your bucket list absolutely I did I did one marathon recently which was a bucket list uh, item so tick <laughs> I guess we all have some of that so having looked at your LinkedIn profile, you have a track record of being involved in startups throughout your career. And having started you know, Digital in 2014, give us some insights on your entrepreneurial journey to date. Sure. Um, so so you know was actually the first company that I, I had the privilege of starting. I, I actually came out of the, the, the corporate space. I was at Cell C for a number of years uh, running their digital team and then um, I, I guess realized there was an opportunity to bring in some cool tech that I had fallen in love with when I was there and decided to start this company where my, my, I would introduce it to peers in my industry and very fortunate enough to, to be able to build that into a, a company that's still running after, after eight years. And um, since then, I've, I've also had the, the fortune of being involved in a number of other ventures as well. Um, we've got a... a called Mirror Mirror that I have been, been part of and um, Airbuy, which is a payment company and uh, a number of other startups where I get to help mentor and invest. Yeah, so it's a wonder where you have time for running, hey? 
<laughs> early mornings. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's the best time to do what you love. Um, so I understand from our conversation, you've been up to London recently to attend a conference on the very topic up for discussion today. Um, and we are talking about the first party data revolution, um, you know, which is quite an important and trending topic. And uh, it's certainly an important one for business to take note of. What, in your opinion, is propelling the shift? Um, I, think, I think we've come to a, um, a pivotal point in, in, in how companies and um, you know, even individuals think about data. You know, we've, we've gone through so many loops and you know, high points and low points in terms of how personal data is used that um, there's, a, there's a bit of a reckoning at the moment, I think, which, which is forcing everybody to ask the question, is my personal data mine or somebody else's or am I the product or am I not? And, um, and, and I think that the consumer is, is winning, which is, which is great. And, and that means that um, all the technology companies and publishers and, and everybody in that game um, has to rethink how, you know, how consumer data is used. And, and I think that is where we're at right now is for the last 10, 15 years, um, it's been a bit of a, a free-for-all in a number of ways. Um, maybe the Wild West is everybody mm. works out what they can and can't do. And now regulation or perhaps some, some personal interests or, or company interests from, from various providers um, is, is guiding us into this space of potentially looking at first-party customer data way more importantly than we would, uh, you know, the third-party data that we used to get um, with third-party cookies and um, DMPs and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, there there are a number of drivers which we are going to touch on soon enough in terms of what's causing the shift. But, yeah. you know, you've been exposed to, to global markets. Where are we in terms of progress in South Africa relative to other markets? Um, I mean, I think it, it depends who you ask. Um, South Africans or, or even African um, companies in general always feel like they are way behind, um, and and while I don't think we're necessarily um, leading the trend, we definitely aren't um, you know five years behind on things. You know, it, it's a it's a matter of potentially waiting for for technologies and processes to be proven in other markets before we're able to invest because potentially there's less budgets. But you know, everybody understands what's needed. It's really just. Can, have they been able to build momentum internally to, to get those projects off the ground? So I would say that COVID um, has, has propelled that incredibly. Everyone's been forced to rethink that, um, that the whole digital transformation um, movement includes how they think about their customers' data as well. So I, I would say that we are not that far behind in terms of intention, um, possibly possibly a good six months to a year behind in terms of implementation. So I would sum it up as we're all on a global data maturity journey. Yeah, mm. yeah, I think so. And, 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 and people know what that journey should look like. It's really just about breaking through some of those, those barriers and silos and, and maybe historical legacy issues um, to, to achieve that as a company. 
So just, uh, you know, let's just talk about what are some of the benefits associated with brands having a SCV strategy? Um, yeah, so, so this, you know, this, the single view of, of the customer is, it, it just makes sense, even from a historical perspective. We've, we've maybe been spoilt in the past uh, having this ability to go and target audiences without even knowing who they are or, or speak to people or personalize ads to people without them being part of our, our family or our community. So, so the benefits of moving to this, this view of understanding our customers across the board um, means that we can include them in our, um, include them in our family, include them in our plans and our, and our futures um, and be able to give them what they need as they go through that journey. It might not be as, as broad from an acquisition perspective, but from a, from a retention and an upsell and a, and a cross-sell perspective and a, and a customer experience perspective, um, if you take this seriously and you, you put effort behind it, knowing what they're saying, knowing what they're doing, knowing what their preferences are um, as, a, as a company as opposed to a division, uh, just ensures that you're not wasting money and efforts uh, duplicating efforts or, or you know wasting money on communicating with people who don't need that kind of communication so there's a lot of efficiencies by by creating this single view and and then building company-wide strategies off of that definitely uh, but in reality easier said than done because it comes mm -hmm. with its own challenges of of getting this right um, so I know yesterday when we chatted, I really liked what you said about know your customer journey is understanding that the customer journey is nonlinear. Um, we have to consider the messy middle. Um, how would you approach this customer journey orchestration? So I think that it, it um, there's a couple of steps, I guess. And one of the, one of the important steps is to impart value on um, First of all, collection of, of data across any number of different um, data sources, uh, divisions, channels, even journeys that people are going through. Finding a way of identifying these uh, individuals, whether they're anonymous at first or eventually become uh, you know, known, uh, and then being able to attribute future, uh, I guess, knowledge about them to, to that persona and then imparting a lot of value on things like consent i think consent is going to be incredibly important um going forward vital if not and and creating that as part of your strategy so so that that would probably be, be step one is imparting actual value as a company on those major things and creating a almost like a value exchange to have the customer want to share this this kind of information with you they you should be able to build a strategy where the, the customer feels like if they give you the, the kind of information that you're asking for in, in the right ways, that they're going to get some kind of value out of that. Um, I think the other step would definitely be re to re-strategize your targeting mix. You know, so if you are uh, targeting both prospects and, and existing clients, uh, moving more towards a, um, a contextual uh, targeting rather than um, putting a lot of effort on audience targeting and retargeting, that's probably where most of the value will come. 
Um, and then also as a company, I think making first party data a differentiator. How, how do you become that standout company that knows how to treat their customers well because of the strategy you've taken to, to understand them better? So almost make it known that this is, this is, part of the this is part of the handshake if they're going to join your join your family um you will give them either better service better products or or some kind of, of value that other other um competitors aren't doing because of this the strategy so it, it really comes from the top it's not a it's not a division that gets it done it's not just cx that gets it done it's not even just marketing that it gets it done it has to be a um, built into the the dna almost Mm. Um, and then, you know, once that's that's done, is to have this this value exchange across the whole customer journey, not just at the start. It's not about just getting them to log in somewhere, and hopefully that gives you enough information to to treat them as a as an individual. It's every part of the journey, and and taking all those various scenarios we spoke about very seriously as potential uh, points to ask for something more to to gather just a little bit extra to enrich those profiles and um, and make the customer want to. And then obviously there's this, this whole concept of journey orchestration, which means that this is a constantly evolving um, discipline. It's not something that you build at the beginning of the year and see how it pans out a year later. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a day job. Yeah, so I know you also mentioned that uh, how do we identify the metric of work or metric of value? And and there were four things you mentioned because I said to you that, you know, this this value exchange becomes a transactional exchange, you know, um, both parties win, but the power then shifts into the consumer's hands. Very, very true. So, you know, you've, you've almost got to treat every um, consent mechanism as, a, as an ad um, and, and, and as important as an ad. So the same kind of effort that we've always put into, into advertising, banner ads and efficiencies and, and testing, you need to be, I guess, putting that same kind of effort into that, that mechanism that brings consent or, or the addition of additional uh, information. And, um, I think that that every step of that um, journey of let me give you a little bit of information about myself or let me give you consent to to retarget me or something along those lines has value. There's a there's a, a value that'll be attributed to that because you know that conversation of how consumers are potentially going to be able to sell their own data or have be remunerated for their own data in the future should be treated as as real and perhaps current and um, maybe we don't pay actual money for it, but they should get something for it. And the, the idea of gamification comes to mind, I think, where we, we've, we've almost perfected gamification through social media and games and, and all this kind of stuff. But using it in the, in the customer journey, we know that people will do things for you. They'll either work for you or they will uh, free as a, as a customer or they will engage in some way for essentially four different things. And, and I always uh, uh, summarize it as, as SAPS, S-A-P-S, status being number one. Will they be given some kind of higher status within your organization as a consumer? Maybe there's a loyalty program. Maybe there's a 
a community that they're part of where they are recognized. Maybe they get special uh, privileges um, because of the status that they have achieved. Um, the second one would be access. Do they get access perhaps to special content, special products, special services, events, something along those lines that other people don't get access to? Um, the third one is power. Uh, and if people feel like they are being given power to change, maybe they are um, included in the product uh, ideation stages or they are given the ability to, um, I don't know, maybe maybe head up a forum or something like that, um, they will then work for that. And then the last one, the last S in that SATS is stuff. You know, it's, and it's the least, uh, the one that's least effective in the long term. Um, according to the theorists. So stuff, you know, money, vouchers, swag, all those kind of things, um, that will, will get people to the party, but it won't get them to stay. And we want to have this as a long-term strategy. So, so yes, it, stuff does form part of that, uh, that strategy, but it's a, it's a very small part of that value exchange. So it's the, the goal is that people should be thinking of that transactional value as potentially being more ethereal than I will give you 10% discount on this product if you give me your information. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that's quite an interesting perspective because a lot of uh, brands have been giving away stuff in exchange for uh, data. And, and what you're saying requires a new way of thinking and an approach and maybe looking at creative solutions of how do you remain authentic as a brand the customer feels like valued at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah absolutely. You know, it, it, stuff, stuff will work for certain customers, um, but again, I think it will only work in the short term and, um, and the decision needs to be made I guess on a on a case by case basis, is this a is this a once off uh, activity or journey that we want people to go on, or is this something that we want to to have for a number of years and potentially have some kind of a, a strategy around um, keeping them involved and engaged more than just that once off uh, exchange? Yeah, let's let's now talk about some of the sources of data in context of fast and slow data. Can you maybe give us a view of, you know, how you would define fast and slow data? Yeah, it's a, I mean, there's a, it, it's interesting. Fast, fast data are, because, because we've been, um, a number of years been working in uh, things like social analytics. We've often, we've often spoken about the, the volumetric side of social data, which would be engagement rates and, you know, click-through rates and fan page uh, growth and that kind of stuff versus what are people saying um which is the almost like the qualitative side of it which which holds its own value and um fast data are always considered to be similar to volumetrics or real-time analytics what's what's the the churn rate what's the um, um the sign up rate what's the you know, current basket size of people coming through our site um Whereas slow data is the collection of data over time to give us deeper insights, in my view. You know, things like proven hypotheses um, or the ability to create an, an audience segment over time. You know, that's not going to happen in an hour. Um, but given enough data points and enough individuals 
sharing information about their activities and their, and their needs and desires, you're able to start creating segments um, over a longer period of time. Or what we've been speaking about, this single view of customer is, is slow data. It, it's, it's a process. It's not something that we can, um, we can quick, quickly uh, look at a dashboard and immediately start uh, making changes that we need to, uh, we need to kind of build on it. So the, that's essentially how I see it. But the, the, the actual metrics underneath those are, are vast, I would say, depending on which discipline you're in. Yeah, I mean, uh, just to add to what you're saying, in terms of slow data, it's also looking at historical data because, you know, every brand has uh, access to their first-party uh, data. And, and what, you, what you're essentially doing is integrating your structured and unstructured data now in one place so that you get a holistic view of your customer but I was at a, a PwC session yesterday uh, talking about the very same topic in terms of building, brands building the first body uh, data strategy and some uh, tips and advice for brands. And, and what they say is almost 90% of experienced data is unstructured data. An example of this is social media comments, engagements with the brand, etc. So bringing in the emotional data into structured data and layering that data and having worked with social media data yourself for such a long time, how can brands harness the value of unstructured data? Yeah, so um, I mean, back, back in the day when, when Crimson Hexagon was still a, still a brand, they had a tagline of quantifying the qualitative, which, which I always found really, you know, really nice way of thinking about it. Because unstructured data, um, the way people speak, and that's social data, but it's also customer service, uh, you know, support data, it's survey data, it's NPS, um, uh, you know, surveys, all that kind of stuff where people are giving us their, their unstructured opinions or desires or needs uh, should be quantified first and there's enough technology out there to go and take this large set of of uh, of discussion um, of unstructured text and then to quantify that into things like topic analysis emotion analysis um, sentiment obviously which everyone knows about uh, but but then also classifying the, that kind of conversation into what we we you know call uh, pillars of value you know so so being able to analyze those that unstructured text um, to to decipher what are people saying about my particular products or channels or services or or values even, um, and then being able to to assign that back to our own internal um, analytics that we're getting. So there is a layer between you know. So if if we had to talk actual technology, you know, the the single view of customer probably culminates in something like a CDP. Um, but before it gets into that, that CDP, there are other layers of technology such as um, you know, strong social intelligence tools that will take that kind of um, data, transform it into something that is uh, quantifiable and then assign that back into, uh, almost like normalize that to, to be able to be used in, um, in, in your, your single view of customer stuff. Um, the, the other side to that, apart from social, is 
you know, there's a, there's a large trend at the moment to unify the voice of the customer. And that is, as I mentioned, taking social data, taking customer service data, taking survey data, bringing that all into one space using powerful AI to, um, to analyze that. And then irrespective of where that conversation is coming from, be able to say that, well, in maybe in this part of this part of the country, people with this kind of product um, generally don't like your stores or do like your stores or like your stores but hate the smell of it or something like that, which all of those individual metrics can then be assigned to these segments that you're building um, in your, uh, in your, your first-party strategy, even if it's potentially um, anonymous. You know, you can't, you can't always go and ethically assign um, your, your your records in a, in a CRM or a CDP to somebody that's talking on, on social media without their consent. So it might just be um, thematic at some point. I mean, it's only recently that I have been exposed to social regression analysis, which is so critical for brands to take note of. Um, but there's two things that you mentioned is one is the automation of data. So, you know, we, we're going to remove the, the manual um, process out of the equation. Um, and two is um, technology being the key enabler. I mean, when we start to talk about technology, there are so many different diverse technology out there to do the job. How, what, are, what are some of the ways brands, you know, what do they need to take note of in terms of choosing the right tech stack for this? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's an it's a increasingly complicated process we find. Um, and, and, what, and what we've been doing with, with a lot of our customers is, is going through a bit of a, an audit process where we look at things like what, what, are the, what are the technologies that already exist in the company? What are the processes that exist? what kind of data already exists, what has to stay, what doesn't have to stay, and um, uh, and then working out what all the different divisions potentially need or, or stakeholders uh, potentially need or what, what the customer needs at the end of the day because maybe those needs of the stakeholders can change. And then starting by building a, a scope and a requirements list of, of what's required. And then if only, only after that point do you start investigating and, and shortlisting the kinds of technologies that that fill those gaps because that is you know despite the fact that yes it's complicated and there's so much to choose from the benefit of having that is there's definitely going to be a um, technology solution whether it's one one solution or a combination of of platforms that answers that requirement perfectly um, and, and it's really just about do you have the time and the resources to actually go through that process first uh, before you know, going down the road of, of potentially sitting in sales calls and, and listening to what various vendors have to say? Because it all sounds the same after a while. You know, when you sit in 10, 15 different um, pitches, um, it, it all starts blurring into one and, and it's hard to differentiate. So we, we strongly suggest going through that, that audit and scoping process first before um, evaluating too much technology. But uh, again, the benefit is there will be something that fits it perfectly. And once you've made that choice, the 
I guess, the cost savings after the fact are, um, are highly tangible. So we would definitely suggest take it, take it slow, but don't, maybe, don't, maybe don't waste time. Like we said, we, we're a little bit behind the, the rest of the world. Calvin, to be honest with you, um, nearly every single day, and, and this is no joke, I've been um, uh, called or emailed or on LinkedIn by different service providers selling something new and also saying that their tech is or their tool is the best in the industry. So it's very difficult because if you start to look at this uh, MarTech landscape, it just keeps on growing and expanding. Um, and one of the things, and, and this is, uh, you know, for South African brands, uh, realistically, not all brands have the type of investment or budgets to, to actually invest in some of these technology. You know, so, so where do we draw the line, for example, a small and medium business versus a large corporate in saying, what you should be considering because I don't see anything out there in the market. I'm not sure if you are exposed to anything. Um, th- there are there are definitely solutions for every um, every level. Um, what I think the you know where where the where the complexity comes in is when you look at a, a spreadsheet of check boxes. So I mean, think of the, the RFP process. Um, most most vendors will say that they can do what is required but there are levels you know there are enterprise versions and then there are mid-level versions and there's entry-level versions of of the same kinds of technology and and i think it just does take a little bit of um, objectivity i guess to to evaluate first of all where does your company sit Um, and everybody every company believes that they need the best but like you say budgets don't always exist and Part of that process is maybe to start with what is the budget. Uh, you know, I, I guess uh, you know a bit of a bit of a inside scoop because we are my company does technology sales as as part of part of its business. Um, we know that brands are very hesitant to disclose their budget because they think the the vendor is going to push up their price to whatever that budget is. <laughs> is that not true that, though? No, well, okay. depends on the vendor. Obviously. Depends on the vendor. Yes, not everybody is <laughs> the same. But, but, <laughs> but essentially, there's, there's value in coming out the gates and saying, guys, this, this is what our budget is. Um, let's be realistic about what we can possibly get for this. Um, what, what can't we get? And should we even continue speaking? Because um, you know, we, went, we went through a process like this with, with one of our clients recently where we helped them choose some some technology and by starting with the, the the budget that's comfortable you know we knew that there was going to be some variance up or down but but by understanding what was comfortable we were able to uh, exclude 80 percent of the solutions out there um, and not necessarily have to try and force fit our needs within their technologies and you know everyone, you know even even the enterprise guys might come in and say that yes we could do it for x amount but realistically you'd probably be losing some of that functionality that was inspiring in the first place so um i think there's a bit of honesty um soul searching from from the brand to decide that once you know there is a there is a comfortable budget and we have to understand that maybe that's not the 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 top technology in the world with the the top services required but potentially we can get away with 
60% of what's of what's available and um, fits within the budget, but maybe lower expectations. Yes, so but we, a, yeah, but where does that mandate uh, sit with an organisation? Is it the CIO office? Is it marketing? Um, is it CTO? Because very often there is that um, siloed view of how these decisions are taken. Um, and then sometimes after the fact, the the decision's been made and the rest of the organizations need to retrofit into that solution, which might not be the actual uh, solution that's required, you know, to get the job done. So I'm often finding that too, it's that fragmentation within organizations. Um, and then, um, okay, maybe let's just tackle that because I have another question for you. Sure. So, so it varies uh, you know over the, over the years i think we've seen it you know, there, there's there's been a there's been a strong um push from from cmos to to make a lot of those choices um where and then it uh, and cto's got upset because there was almost this shadow it that was being built outside of of their control um i think with the addition of things like a cio um coming into organizations that is moving, we're seeing a lot of that decision-making moving to that that space. But because there's always gonna be uh, varying incentives to to different parts of the company, uh, it's, it's almost valuable to, to try and find some kind of a, a completely objective, almost an outside view um, or, or, or lack of a better word, consultants to come in and, and assist with that. And I'm not talking, you know, necessarily, you don't need massive, these, these massive consulting firms that uh, will take, um, you know, our, our pers- personal story, I just remember when I was when I was at Salsi, we had consultants come in and, and everybody, you know, had to wait for two years before any decisions were made. But, um, you know, having having some kind of a um, an outsider view helps because there's no outs- incentive apart from giving the answer um, to, to making that happen. And I I remember having this discussion with Simon Cameron, who's now multi-choice when, when we were working together, was coming up with this idea of having a uh, almost like a, a think tank of people who are completely unincentivized. This was more in the marketing space of uh, creative and agency space, of having this think tank of heads of agencies sitting around, and none of those agency heads were allowed to actually have a um, you know a horse in the race uh, and hopefully through that come up with better ideas so I think there's a similar idea with technology as well almost having like a an external uh, technology advisor that um, has no has no horse in the race it helps mm, because I would say it needs to be a human centered technology you know uh, yeah. not not just a functional one but um so I think supporting what you've just said, what's what's important is brands having the right skills, expertise and capability sitting with the, with the team because even the best investment in technology will lead you, um, you know, you'll gain no value from it. Um, and, and that's also something that's lacking in South Africa. Very few people have the technical knowledge. Because it's it's almost about educating, um, you know, um, changing the culture, adoption um, of this technology to make it more practical 
in terms of everyday usage. Because very often people, you know, wait for your external partners to give you things. Um, and what it allows you to do is just empower yourself with the right data to make the right decisions. I, I, I totally agree. I think one of the, the biggest um, recommendations or, or steps that I, I like to encourage is, is having the internal teams empowered enough to, to talk the talk, um, even if they don't necessarily have the time to, to have to work on um, all these technologies on a day-to-day basis, but maybe they, they're doing other, other jobs. Um, they should be experts because they should be able to, in a, in, in, in a sentence, brief the, the teams that are working on these platforms, um, understand the capabilities and understand the, the possibilities as well. Because if you understand what's, what's possible, um, your imagination can just go wild and you can actually take advantage of that. The, 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 one, of, one of the things that unfortunately we see a lot of is there's a, there's a lot of this, this feeling that um, technology will save the day and um, once you buy it, it will, you know, once you build it, they will come. And um, that's not necessarily the case. Technology is an enabler for good process and strategy. And um, once you've got that right, you put the right technology in place to scale. Uh, and, and, I, and I think without understanding the, the, the mechanisms that work and the, the abilities that these, these platforms give, sometimes those strategies don't don't get thought of in the first place. So um, we'd very much like to, to see where uh, you know, um, the, the, the actual brand teams themselves are, are, are experts, but depending on what the organization is like, they don't necessarily need to do all the work, I suppose, but uh, they definitely need to guide it. So, yeah, I think to to almost be we've coming to a close, but what I think what the key thing for me is, you know, why are we uh, doing all of this? What does it matter at the end? And And for me, it's all about growth. How do we actually use the data effectively to commercialize our efforts? It's talking about ROI or return on marketing investment at the end of the day. Um, and then it's also having that deeper, more meaningful relationships with customers, enhancing the user experience um, and, uh, you know, driving quality output. Um, so how how can brands start linking once they get this right? Obviously, you mentioned through our conversation, it's a journey. It's looking at your data maturity levels at which stage are you at uh, within your brand and what steps you need to take to, to you know to climb up that maturity ladder um how do you link it back to growth and commercial value because i'm finding that when you want to invest in technology you need to build a business case you know you need to show your mpv so what can brands do in this case uh, i think i think there's going to be a a portion of time where we need to refocus our energies less on acquisition um, and more on retention and um, and growth of our of our existing base. So, I mean, I, I suppose it's, it's a bit of a biased view because of what we're talking about. But but if we're talking about putting effort into this first party data strategy, that is essentially where the benefits lie. It, it's not going to be. Um, massive new business acquisition growth if you if you do this 
first-party data strategy well. It will improve because you, you're obviously gathering more insights as to what works. So the better clients, the better you know your clients, the better you'll be able to find new clients. But whether the most value for companies are going to be in the next one to three years, I think, is um, putting more value into that, that customer retention value. You know, what is it? What is the value of keeping this customer? What's that lifetime value? And then um, improving on efficiencies in terms of how that is serviced. So the costs of, of potentially not duplicating uh, efforts across different divisions uh, against not maybe targeting people that don't need to see that message um, because they're already customers or they're certain customers or, or something along those lines. And then also to, to increase their, um, their spend with you as a, as a, as a brand, you know, because you know them better and you're able to uh, assist them with things that they actually need. So that's my, my view on this particular strategy and where the value comes. Yeah, I mean, I guess that with this new era of data revolution also comes next level of measurement. So we're looking at a range of, of measures and, and moving from traditional vanity metrics into more holistic end-to-end -end measurement becomes critical for all businesses because it's about transparency, democratization of data, um, you know, that value exchange with your consumer that all parties involved in this ecosystem starts benefiting, you know, and feeding off each other at the end of the day. Absolutely. Um, it, it's, it's, I think it's been, uh, it's one of those things that we've always dreamed of. Um, and, you know, I know the, the term single view of customer or even single voice of customer has been banded about for forever. Um, and even, even now when I speak to some people, they're like, oh, it's a dream. It's, it's, not, uh, it's not possible. But it actually, it actually is, um, you know, to some extent. So it's really just around what, is, what does that mean? Um, what does that term actually mean for individual companies? Because not every company is going to be the same. And then, you know, prioritizing that. So very exciting times, I think. Definitely. So, Calvin, in closing, what are the three things would you, you, know, you would like to leave our listeners with in terms of having a single view of customers and how should they be uh, navigating through this data revolution? Um, yeah, so I think, uh, you know, the, the three steps that are used in, in this journey a lot are, number one, collection. Is how, are, we putting, are we putting a, a priority on um, where we're collecting our data? Is it good data? Is it, is it solid data? Um, Secondly, are we unifying and enriching that? So are we you know, cognizant of the fact that all of this data could potentially be, um, be unified as a single profile for individuals and then for segments, et cetera? And then the third one is actually taking action on that is fine, we've got it. And I mean, everyone's had this big data project going for five years you know, since whenever they started it. But are we able to take immediate action um, and intelligent action on the stuff that we have and the, the changing stuff that we have. So uh, collect, unify, take action. Uh, I guess those are the, the key pillars to a, a strong single, single view of customer strategy. You also mentioned that your company you know, does uh, consultations and technology um, 
solutions. Uh, how would someone get hold of you if they needed further assistance? They are, they are more than welcome to reach out to, to me uh, personally on LinkedIn. Uh, they're welcome to go to our, our website at uno.co.za. Um, everyone always gets, gets that wrong. It's not a you. It's a Y-O-U. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uno.co.za. Um, but uh, they can also email me. I'm sure that uh, we can um, – Calvin at uno.co.za. So more than happy to help, but um, I've got a feeling that um, everybody's connected in the smaller industry of ours, so we'll, we'll, we'll get to chat at some point if they want to. Absolutely. Calvin, thank you so much for your time. I think this was an awesome conversation. Thank you, and thanks for having me. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. We're excited. You're excited. I really value and appreciate your support during this time. Helping decision makers navigate the change and keep some change in their pockets. Don't forget to subscribe. Follow our Instagram handle at TalkDigitalZA. Engage us on our website at TalkDigitalZA.co.za. And who knows, you could be featuring on the next one.